Hi, I'm Damien Gillis with the Common Sense Canadian, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 Recording from the Magic Mushroom Kingdom studios of CIVL 101.7 FM, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, I'm your favorite Koopa Troopa. This is a show about atheism, skeptical thinking, and humanism, and despite the efforts of Italian plumbers, I am joined by the team sure to clog your pipes of superstition. We have our Goomba of history, Nancy. That's me, the Goomba. <laughs> our coffee-fueled <laughs> PD Piranha, Tyler. Here we go. <laughs> and our Bob Om of skepticism, Martina. Happy to be here again. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. You guys had a good week? Terrific. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been all, all all together. It's been a it's been a pretty good week. Sunday came so fast this week. You know, I know, you it always flies. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like we were just here yesterday, but here we are. Well, I am happy to report that uh, I am back from Imaginal Religion. Yeah. Great conference and I do have Two great interviews that we will be playing in the future. I did get an interview with uh, Michael Shermer, mm-hmm. and uh, I did not get an interview with Brian uh, Dalton, Mr. D, because unfortunately he was sick. Oh, and AC Grayling was a bit too busy. He couldn't grant us an interview either. But I also got a great, great interview, and we had a great time with James, the amazing Randy. Oh, I am so envious. That what you were a there. man. Oh. What a pearl, this guy. He was doing, I'm telling you, he was doing magic. After the interview, I had to do another recording because he was actually doing magic tricks for me. Oh. So, <laughs> and just to give you, he's so quick, right? I, just a, a, a quick example as he's doing a magic trick, he takes out two pieces of, uh, like, two napkins and he kind of crumbles it up in the balls because he's got no styrofoam balls. He's just doing this on the fly. And he says, the first one is called Abraham, so let's call him Abe. And then he says, the second one is called Anna. It's his wife, Anna. So he puts them together. He says, what do you have here? I said, well, I don't know. What do you have? You have a couple? He says, no, you have a banana. A <laughs> banana, right? A banana, a banana. At 87 years of age, he's still that quick, and his hand movements are so smooth, it's going to be awesome. Anyway, we'll play that in the future for you guys. He should go on forever, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just wonderful that, that you were able to um, to have the interviews, and now we can share them with our audience. So what could be better? Let's go with the show, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to point out a little something. Uh, this was the highlight, of course, of the week, but the low light, because you guys are like my therapy group. I, I don't know if I want to bring this up too much, but, um, you know, uh, when you're a podcast or a broadcast or something like that, you don't have a whole lot of, especially in atheism, you don't have a whole lot of uh, publicity. Uh, we do most of our publicity actually via Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. And um, this show is often posted in atheist groups and stuff like that. And I try to make them relevant, right? Um, and I posted a uh, one of our episode, uh, one of our last episodes to a group. I'm not going to name the group, but a group of atheists in Vancouver. Um don't, don't really want to name them, but I have never seen so much um, hatred and flack from posting from one of their own, essentially, right? Um, they were saying, why are you posting this? And they were they were accusing me of just clickbaiting, and 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 I was just completely, completely shocked by this, this, this thing. I said, I said to them, I said, look, I, I can post this show in Bangladesh, right, in group, in atheist groups in Bangladesh, and I get, you know, hey, cool, and I might get ignored, and that's about it. All over the world, I can post this show. Yeah, where they hack atheists to death. But he, but here in Vancouver, in Vancouver, you get the people, you know, they're, for lack of a better term, cannibalizing your your own, right? It's the last thing you want to do, right? Especially when you have an entire world against atheism. The last thing you want to do is start giving hell especially when you haven't even taken the chance to actually listen to the show. Yeah, I know I got kicked out of that same group, but I was watching The Atheist Experience uh, recently, and they were interviewing uh, some famous trans woman who I don't really know. But anyways, 
they said, yo, go ahead, you know, plug it away, you know, mention your channel, mention this, mention that. That was really cool of Russell. Yeah, and it, that's how it should be, right? And, 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 of course, these are the same people, the same type of people that uh, I've found out from Bill at Imaginal Religion that it, this is probably going to be the last year Imaginal Religion is going to be in uh, the Vancouver area because, because he's getting no support from these groups and he's actually getting trouble from them. And that is very, very disturbing. What, what is it about, you know, this is why they say no Vancouver. I mean, what is this? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the last place in the world that you'd think you'd run into um, f- factionalizing is that the right word when you're you know, fraction? Is it fraction? Mm-hmm. The little fractions? Yeah, frac. Not we'll make it a word. We'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, this is the last area where you'd think that would happen. I mean, good old freedom of speech. We want to be able to agree and disagree, but when when you start climbing all over people, exactly. you know, for no other reason other than you know you don't like what they're saying, that's uh, something that you sure don't expect. I, yeah, I, I mean, think in every single group you get people like that, whether it's feminists atheists skeptics there's always a percentage of the people who are just really mean so aside from from saying that you were posting clickbait were there any specifics that you can go into what they had against your show well first of all the 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 well, not what I've given too many details. They, they they wanted us to put an atheist show. The show that I put on was more of a, a skeptical look. It's the one that we did about uh, the la- the last show we did uh, uh, about um, e- e- uh, income equality there mm-hmm. about basic yep. income, right? And I thought you know the name. Well, I'm not going to go into details, but uh, in the name of the the group is a skeptic, right? And I thought, well, here's a skeptical show. And they said they said to me, well, first of all, they said, why are you posting something like that? It's not atheist. Well, it's not an atheist group. <laughs> exactly, right? And and I said, I said, well, no, it's a skeptic show, and and like I said, you know, we're just neighbors. I'm just trying to spread the word. And if you guys have events, I'll be more than happy to promote on our on our, on our website and blah blah. And they're just going and going. And I thought it was for a while there was a couple of trolls, but it turns out one of the quote unquote troll was actually one of the admins. And at the end, I said, I said, you guys, I'm sorry, but you guys are not skeptics, okay? You guys are cynics. You're cynics in Vancouver, and this is the kind of stuff that really turns off people like Bill. And now he might move his conference somewhere else. As it, in this situation, you know, you should save your energy for the real fight out there, mm-hmm. the real fight that we're all facing. We don't need this extra burden on ourselves. And I, why is it about Vancouver that does that? You know, like I said, you can pose this freaking show in France, in Japan, in Africa, Bangladesh, where people are being beheaded, atheists are being beheaded. I get eh, nothing. Okay, cool. Good for you. Or maybe I get ignored. That's about it. Vancouver, I'm getting nothing but flack. And from people that you can tell by the answers, never even bothered to start listening to it. I wish I could quote Matt Delahunty verbatim here, but he basically said that it's unfortunate, but from his experience, most atheists are not skeptics. Yeah, maybe he's right on something like that. I think so. Anyway, let's move on. Nancy, you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Let's set you up. Okie dokie. And this day in history, which is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between May 23rd to May 29th. So starting with May 24th, it was National Patriots Day in Quebec and Queen Victoria's birthday. Anybody know when Queen Victoria was? Anybody quote the... Actual date? No. I didn't think so. I just, I'm sorry. Although, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious. You said Patriots Day in Quebec? It's pa- National Patriots Day in Quebec. I've never even heard of that. I, I only got it from all of my good sources. So May I 24th, no, is it? May 24th. We'll you have sh- to look that up. You I sure th- it's not St. Jean-Baptiste from June 24th? No, I no, don't well, think so. Well, I'll get to look it up now. We'll have to, we'll have to look it up. Anyway, As a Quebecer, I'm offended by not knowing this. <laughs> well, no. It, 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 could, it could be that one of my sources took a very obscure holiday. No, I'm probably the one that's wrong, dear. Well, we we'll we'll come back next week and and uh, give it, give it the, the 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 right emphasis where wherever it was, whatever the day it was. Okay, we promise you next week. We unless anybody wants to uh, email us really quick, we'll tell you next week. Anyway, Queen Victoria's birthday, eighteen nineteen. Um, in eighteen forty four, telegraph inventor Samuel Morse sent the first official telegraph message from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. to Baltimore. And the first message was, What hath God wrought? So that 
that was uh, Samuel Samuel Morse in 1844. And in 1930, Amy Johnson became the first woman to fly solo from England to Australia, and she landed in Darwin, North Territory in Australia. May 25th um, is Memorial Day in the U.S. It's also Greek Geek Pride Day, National Tap Dance Day, and Towel Day. I think someone could make a really interesting short story out of it. Yeah, those, those are weird elements put together. Weird elements put together, that's for sure. What the hell is Towel Day? Oh, seriously. I, it's seri- well, there's a day for Douglas everything. Adams? What? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? You always have to be yeah. prepared. You need Absolute. your towel. Absolutely. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. <laughs> Points for you, dear. There you go. Absolutely. So... Speaking of other weird elements, in 1977, it was the year when Star Wars was released in the theaters, which inspired the Jediism religion, um, and there are close to 100,000 who believe in that religion worldwide. There used to be a group in Vancouver, but I can't find that they're active anymore. Anyway, the, the Jedi... Vancouver lost a force. They lost, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Most Jedi embrace the Jedi Code, which is sometimes referred to as the four Jedi truths, which are there is no emotion, there is peace, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, there's no passion, there is serenity, and there's no death, there is the fourth. So may the force be with us. And May 28th, moving rapidly along, is the downfall of the Derg Day in Ethiopia. And the Derg was a military rule, but I just threw that in there because I like to say the downfall of the Derg Day. <laughs> 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 that sounds like something that could have been from Star Wars, though, doesn't it? So it was a dictatorship? It was an actual dictatorship. We're, we're, yeah, we're pro-downfalls of dictatorships <laughs> on here. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say that either. No, there you go. In 585, going way back as the Goomba, and I can do these things, <laughs> in 585 B.C. was the solar eclipse as predicted by a Greek philosopher whose name was Thales. It was either Thales or Thales. I, I'm not really good on my ancient Greek. From this, the events in the ancient world can be calculated. So that's really a marker. So here's a fun fact. The word eclipse comes from the word eclepsis, which is the ancient Greek word for something that you would never associate with an eclipse. It's the word for being abandoned. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess if the sun is abandoned. The sun abandoned you? Abandoned. And that's what, oh, yeah. That's but interesting. Yeah. You'd think it would have to do with cover or shadow or shade or disappearing, but no, it's abandonment. See, this is why I love the show. I learn something new every time. Every day, I know. Um, in 1934, near Calendar, Ontario, the Dion quintuplets were born to Olivia and Ilziri Dion, and uh, they later became the first quintuplets to survive infancy, and they had a pretty rocky upbringing. They were constantly being um, observed, and uh, journal. everything that they did went into the journal. Their parents were not necessarily... It was a freak show. It was a freak show. The parents, at one point, um, I believe, were absolutely actually denied um, access to the kids to raise them because they thought the parents weren't adequate um, uh, in in raising children and so they removed them to uh, an institution where they sold tickets to be able to come in and watch them. It was was a freak show. And anyway, uh, there are still pictures of them um, if you want to look on the the net. They're they're really cute little kids and, and, and they all survived. May 28th 1961, um, Amnesty International was founded by London lawyer Peter Berenson. And he read, the reason he, he formed the group was he read about the arrest of a group of students in Portugal, and then he launched a one year campaign to free them. And the campaign was called Appeal for Amnesty. Um, and Appeal for Amnesty Today. So now, Amnesty International has over a million members in 150 countries, and they work to free prisoners of conscience, stop torture, the death penalty, guarantee human rights for women. Um, They get into uh, arms conflict, weighing in on arms conflict, on corporate accountability, on detention, and on disappearances. And one of these days, Mr. Host, we really should have someone from uh, Amnesty International. There's a Canadian 
group in Ottawa. And I'm all for it. I, I think that would make a fascinating interview because we, we talk about them, but we uh, we really need to have someone firsthand to say what's going on yeah, now. It's totally human to show. I totally Absolutely. Totally for it. I, I would like to it. recommend that people look up Amnesty International on Wikipedia and read the criticism part. It's There's some things to be skeptical about them. I'm sure, but overall, do you think, you know, from reading your article, overall, do you still feel as though they're uh, an organization worthy of our um, of our support? I think for the most part, but I have seen them make quite a bit of claims where there's no evidence, so especially when it comes into supporting the agenda of the United States. Well, maybe we can give them a pass. The church has been doing that forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I think that would be wonderful to have them on and then say, these are some of the allegations. You know, what do you think? I mean, what are your responses? How yeah, do you reply yeah, to totally. that? Totally. Oh, that makes it better. Now I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm always up for a debate. There, Yeah, there we go. Unleash the Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> you finally said it live. <laughs> May 29th is Democracy Day in Nigeria. And in 1953, Edmund Hillary and uh, the Sherpa Tenzing Norgay became the first people to reach the summit of Mount Everest. And that was on Norgay's birthday. What a, what a birthday present to, to reach the summit. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and I really try to make it bizarre events that, <laughs> and people that make up this day in history. Yes, successfully bizarre as usual. <laughs> it's always bizarre, you. but it's you know what? It's very interesting as usual. To make, yeah. it, to make it even more bizarre, I read something recently that said there's approximately about 200 human bodies still on Mount Everest. That would be bizarre indeed. Uh, well, scary, it's scary. really hard to go retrieve them, right? Yeah, it is. Well, I would imagine that they're That's frozen. Field. They're frozen in ice yeah. at this point. Oh, yeah, totally. They, yeah, totally. Which is fine. They're preserved. <laughs> <laughs> Cryogenically frozen. They're cry- exactly. All right, and we'll be right back right after this. Are you ready to make it stop? Canada has the highest rates of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis in the world, and the diseases are on the rise in kids under 10. Join Crohn's and Colitis Canada on Sunday, June 5th for the Gutsy Walk at over 60 community walks across Canada. It's time to stop the pain, stop the surgeries, stop the missed moments. Sunday, June 5th, show you've got the guts to make it stop. Register today at gutsywalk.ca. Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today. Water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page.
it's also taught us, it just in my lifetime, an enormous amount more about how little we know, because we have a, now an increasingly large idea of the fantastic expanse of the, un, the unknown. That's precisely the moment at which to say that skepticism is what's necessary. Inquiry, debate, doubt. Where's faith in this? Where's the usefulness of faith there? There's no use to it at all. And we're back. Perfect. Yeah, it's been an interesting week, all right, but uh, we got some uh, interesting stories I want to talk to you guys about. This is... Got some really interesting stories. I want your opinions. Did you guys hear that apparently they found Aristotle? No way. Or Aristotle's tomb apparently has been found. Now, Greek archaeologists at ancient Stagira, I hope I'm saying this right, or Central Macedonia, say they have found Aristotle's, Aristotle's t- tomb. They were addressing the Aristotle 2400 Years World Congress. Uh, they point to the 2400-year-old tomb as the most important finding of the 20-year excavation. The discovery of the tomb of Aristotle was announced by archaeologist Kostas Sismanidis. I hope I get this right again. Not likely. Probably not. <laughs> According to whom, the findings of the 1996 excavation led to the conclusion that the tomb belongs to Aristotle. Now, Aristotle, of course, he's known as the father of civilization. He was born in Stagira in uh, 384 BC and died in Chalcis, Evia at 322 BC. The great philosopher who learned from Plato and teacher of Alexander the Great was originally believed to have been buried in Chalcis. However, archaeologists are now certain that the tomb they have found belongs to him. Two literally so- li- literary sources indicate that the people of Stagira may have transferred his ashes to his birthplace. The uh, mounted dome, uh, dome tomb has a marble floor dated of the Hellenistic period. It's located in the center of Stagira near the Agora with a 360-degree view. The public character of the tomb is evident by its location alone. However, archaeologists also point to the hurried construction that was later atop, uh, toppled, uh, sorry, topped with quality materials. There's an altar outside the tomb and a, squ- and a square-shaped floor. Uh, and of course, the tomb structure was destroyed by the Byzantine later on who built a square tower on top of it. you guys have any thoughts about this? I'm skeptical. What are you reading from? This was from, uh, oh geez, this was from Greek News. I'm trying to find the source here. I forget where it is. But anyway. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that. I'm very, very, very skeptical. Uh, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> you have the right to be so. Well, how, how, do they know, how do they know it's his tomb? I mean, was his name on there? Did he have a little wallet in his pocket no, that you, gave his name and address? In or? a situation like that, you're never 100% sure, right? Unless you actually have, like, DNA evidence on the bones or something like that. Uh, but they, they're, they're essentially saying that the location of the tomb and it's a, the way it was built is a person of, uh, of higher importance. And they, I also noted there, they said there are two literary sources as, as well on top of that. So they're certain enough to, to make that claim, which has some interesting repercussions. So it could just be some dead, famous guy. Yeah, you can so never be sure. It had to be Aristotle, according to that. Well, you can never be certain for uh, in a situation like this, right? You can never be 100%. Right? Well, I, would, I would keep their motivations in line as well, because obviously if it's Aristotle, then they made a huge discovery. But if it's just somebody else, then yeah, not so big, right? So they have kind of motivation to exaggerate, I would say. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, these are also archaeologists, right? I mean, some motivation are... I mean, they're, they're, this is what they're trying to do, right? I mean, I can understand we're skeptic here, but I mean, I'm willing to give it a, a, a thought for sure. Oh, I think it'd be fascinating. I mean, I, I, they can nail it down to the, the period and the location and the dress and all of those kinds of things, but it really is going to be interesting as to how they're actually going to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was Aristotle and not his brother or an uncle or someone else, you know, in uh, the government or in the public eye at that particular time. Because DNA evidence has to be matched against something. Yeah, exactly. So that would be the beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. I think what you have here is you have a, a, a working assumption. 
which is terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that it's there and and they're going to have a chance to have a shot at it and scholars are going to be able to weigh in, that part of it is, has got to be great. What their motivations are, even if they're bad motives, that'll come out later. There'll be scandals. The whole thing is wonderful. What I find interesting is often when you're dealing with uh, uh, theists, they will start saying, well, you don't believe uh, myself. I'm a bit of a mythicist when it comes to Jesus, for example, right? I kind of stand in the camp that I don't really believe that the person person actually existed uh but you'll ha- often have these people saying well you believe socrates existed or aristotle existed well this is why this is why because we have something very reasonable here that points to that called right? evidence and <laughs> exactly it's called evidence right i mean it's not like hard hard concrete but it's light years ahead of anything that we ever got for jesus Way well, and there's more a lo- likely there's also a lot of other people that mention aristotle as well yeah you know, like around that time but is there is there uh bones or anything in this tomb uh, there's no mention of bones at this point but there's you talk about like 20 or 2000 years ago right i mean even if the bones were there i don't think they'd be much more than dust at this point well i don't know about that i mean we look how we have really really old hominid fossils right yeah, in the right circumstances, yeah. but just in a tomb like that, I mean, it's buried, not. Yeah, I don't know. It's I not fossil. We have here. quite a bit of old bones like that. So if they found that, and then they could, you know, carbon date it or something, that'd be interesting. Because I've seen a lot of different archaeologists make claims that they found things that were from whatever time period, and it turned out to be that was like, Noah's Ark. Well, <laughs> more like Solomon, Solomon's Gates and stuff. But they turned out to be like a hundred or two hundred years later than they were actually claiming. So yeah, we'll, we'll certainly have to keep an eye on it uh, for sure. Uh, I'm going to Google Scholar the crap out of that when I get home. Yeah, by all means. <laughs> and but uh, but it, the implications of it are are astounding because all of a sudden you're giving a lot more credence to Plato, which kind of suffers from the same thing, and Alexander the Great, which of course there's more evidence for Alexander the Great, but you know all of a sudden it kind of ties in a whole bunch of things. Well, right? we got. For Alexander the Great, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I personally don't. I don't think Socrates was a real guy, but I do think Plato and Aristotle were. So anyway, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing we'll have to keep an eye on. I have another story for you guys. Um, this is a bit uh, in, interesting. Um, when two teenage Muslim students from Syria told their school in Switzerland that to shake their female teacher's hand would violate their religious belief, administrators were sympathetic. They made an exception. Unlike the school's other students who shake the teacher's hand at the beginning and end of each class period, which I think is a great thing. We should do that here, too. The two boys would be exempt from shaking anybody's hand at all. Turns out that the Swiss national government takes their handshake pretty seriously. So seriously, in fact, that a regional authority announced Wednesday that the two boys would have to shake their female teacher's hand from now on or pay a $5,000 fine. The local education department in Thurwell, which is near the city of Basel, said in a statement Wednesday that the final decision was made because the public interest with respect to equality between men and women and the integration of foreigners significantly outweighs the freedom of religion. So they came up through a citizenship uh, process for the teen's family who was halted due to the incident. Authorities are now looking to the father's 2001 asylum claim. Can I jump in here now? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a sec. Go back. I don't know where you left off. Okay. Last month, Swiss um, Justice Minister Simona Samurunga, wow, Somarunga, <laughs> I'm bad with names, went on television to say that the handshake was part of our culture. We cannot accept this as this part of the of religious freedom, she said. There are roughly tw- uh, 350,000 Muslims in Switzerland, and it's unclear whether other exceptions were quietly made before this one. It's also unclear what the two boys will do next. In an interview with Swiss media, one said they could just not delete their culture as if it was a hard drive. Any thoughts? Uh, what would Sheldon Cooper say? Uh, that's unsanitary. <laughs> well, I, n- n- not, 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 no, I'm, I'm going to start talking without thinking, but I'm, I'm sure my, my brain is going to catch up the way it generally does. Then it outpaces my mouth and I'm still having problems. At any rate, in Orthodox Judaism, um, single boys and uh, single boys, men and women cannot touch each other either. And uh, when they have different um, um, connections or dancing, there's a a handkerchief that is between them because they they can't touch. And I'm thinking, surely you know, in Switzerland they've had um, experiences with Orthodox Jews who have had the same kind of 
um, religious um, uh, exemption and w- why this comes up at this point and they made such an issue. I mean, it's it's a benign kind of a um, well, I'm, I'm request, sure, uh, really. Uh, well, benign on which side? You know, it's a benign request to, sh- to, to, to shake somebody's hand or it's a benign request to say, no, I don't want to shake your hand? Well, I'm thinking on, on both sides. It's not anything where it, it should have this kind of a brouhaha, but yet it, well, personally, it does. Personally, I think, I think that... Uh, it, it almost goes into the slippery slope argument. I personally I agree yeah. with the Swiss here. Uh, you're moving to Switzerland. You know, in fact, you don't want to touch a woman's hand because you're afraid to get cooties. Really, seriously? No, no, I don't think I mean, it's that. I think it. <laughs> I'm it, an atheist, it, and I wouldn't do it. No, I think it's a religious <laughs> prohibition. You know that 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 is ingrained, especially in Orthodox Judaism. That's why in, in Orthodox services, um, men sit on one side and women sit on the other, so that they don't have any contact until they're married or they're related to each other. So that's ingrained. Well, I'm th- thinking that's probably the th- same you can take thing. religion right out of it. If if the school tried to tell me that I had to shake my teacher's hand, I'd say no, I don't. Why would I have to? Yeah, but the downside to it. Yeah, if I don't. They're not doing this for for simple principle of, of freedom and doing whatever they want here. Uh, what they're doing here, they're doing this specifically, especially because it's a woman, right? If you don't want to shake your teacher's hand because you think he or she is a jerk, uh, I that's fine. I, I get that. But this this is simply because it's it's sexism at this point, brought on by the religion. Yeah, I would pick my battles. It's just making a mountain out of a molehill, isn't that what my mom used to say? Yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, but it, it, it may be. It, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here again, but it's okay for the boys to be taught by a woman. It's okay for them to associate with women. If there was a woman who was. Um, uh, giving them instructions of one kind or another, I'm sure that would be fine. It's just the touching. So I don't think it's sexism. I think it really, well, it, it's sexism built into the religion, but I just, I'm, I'm with Tyler here. It's a mountain, you mm. know, uh, mm. made out of a white, a, a, a molehill, because the boys certainly aren't objecting to sitting in the same class with girls. Or, you know, associating with people of, of both sexes. Yeah, I'm wh- sure they would shake the hand of a man. That's, that's okay. Yeah, but where does this lead, right? Is there, come, is there going to come a time when they say they can't be taught by women? No, no, Because no. the religion says so, you know? And like you said, slippery no, but, slope but that's, that's a slippery slope. But at this point, yeah. I, I don't think there it would go beyond that. Understanding, you know, a little bit about Orthodox Judaism, I don't think it would go beyond that. But as I say, I'm out on a limb here. Yeah. and I, I guess, We'll have to agree to disagree. Agree? Well, Please no, don't we'll hurt just, me, Nancy. We'll Please don't hurt me. No, we'll, <laughs> I, I think we'll just have to learn a little bit more about the situation. Yeah. In this particular case, I would say, yeah, well, we're, we're not really given all the information for instance is it really a mixed class are there really girls in there i don't know it's a good question too so i no. think there might come a time though where we might have to go as a species and realize that yes you have all these rights but some rights will outrank others and just where this can lead because we were saying about the slippery slippery slip, slip, slippery slope nobody can talk today nobody except nobody. for me of course <laughs> always <laughs> always so reliable um well, there were these these issues on on uh, international flights where uh, Orthodox Jews were refusing to sit to be seated next to female flyers and would actually cause huge delays in the whole process. And I mean, um, airlines have to come up with a solution about that too. I mean, I paid for my flight. This is my seat. There happens to be a Jew next to me. I don't have an issue with that, but he yeah. does. Well, that and actually causes a real life problem, yes. right? So not shaking a hand. I'm a consequentialist, so. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I go along with that. When it gets to that point, n- now that that is the slippery slope. But um, I, I, I'm going to be quiet for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, while we reflect on this, we'll be right back. A Canadian, a New Yorker, and a Southern Belle walked into a podcast, and all hell broke loose. Seriously, though, what happens when we three ladies get together? Well, definitely a lot of talking. And accents. Funny accents. Well, I don't have an accent, but my co-hosts sure do. We mix North, South, and the Great White North together for two hours of pure secular discussion. Nothing is off-limits. From goofy religions like Scientology, woo like ghost hunting and alternative medicine, to hardcore history, hermeneutics, sex, and science, we cover it all. 
What the heck is a hermeneutic? Well, it's not a guy named Herman who sings falsetto, that's for sure. Join Beth, Ashley, and myself, Deborah, every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and we take you beyond the trailer park and bring the conversation to life. Join us live on YouTube and participate in the conversation via the Q&A system, or catch us later on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Nobex. Visit www.beyondthetrailerpark.com for links to the show and our upcoming schedule. Bring your wine and sweet tea and settle in for fun facts and free thinking. We happily wear the explicit tag, though, so make sure to wash out your mouth with something tasty before listening. That's live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Come give us a like and a share, no matter what type of accent you have. Here's an excerpt from Mum, Dad, I'm an Atheist by David G. McAfee. It is the same highly regarded concept of an afterlife that allows misguided religious people to justify the mistreatment of those who disagree with their religious ideologies. They are simply trying to protect you from eternal damnation in the afterlife by condemning you, insulting you, and even disowning you in this life. It is not to say that becoming open about your disbelief is always going to be met with these negative reactions and, in fact, that is precisely what this work is hoping to prevent. But it is important to understand that if you experience negative reactions from religious kin, it is probably a result from the religion's teachings and likely not from any personal vendetta or hatred. Find this audiobook and many more at AtheistAudiobooks.com And we're back. All right. Today we're taking a look at radiomet- radiometric dating. And uh, Tyler, my friend, you have a guest. You want to introduce him? Uh, yeah, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? Jeff, are you there? I hear David Suzuki in the background. David Suzuki? Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, me too. Hey, Jeff, it's Tyler. How's it going? Uh, I can barely hear you. Okay, let's try to raise... David Suzuki's drowning you out. Okay, well. Can, can you hear me any better now, Jeff? I can hear you better. Still have the music. That's okay, but I can hear you. Well, okay. Let's, might as well start with it because I don't know where this music is coming from. It's not coming from here. Are you, are you recording or? <laughs> yeah, it's recording. It's not me. All right, Jeff. Well, I uh, brought you on the show to uh, talk about radiometric dating. You are a f- our first Christian guest, so I wanted to thank you. This is an atheist show after all. Well, atheist, skeptic, humanist show, but was hoping you could uh, introduce yourself, kind of list, you know, your credentials and whatnot, and then uh, I guess I'll give you my understanding of radiometric dating, and and then you can poke a bunch of holes in it. <laughs> How's that sound? Uh, yeah, that's that's fine. I'm I'm still having a little trouble with that background music, but I'll try to try to talk through it. Yeah, I, I'm hearing it through the phone, but I, I don't understand where it's coming from, though. So <laughs> we'll have to make do, I guess. All right, can you tell us a bit about your uh, academic background, I guess, Jeff? Um, I got my doctorate at University of North Carolina back in 1978, and I was um, working on understanding the origin of granites in Egypt. You're a PhD, you're a PhD geologist, my, correct? Right, I am a geologist. Uh, I've, I've worked with geophysics and geochemistry as well. Most of my time these days is taken up with international development work, though, trying to bring water, sanitation, and, and geological help to people in the developing world. Oh, that's wonderful. So I've gotten a bit less academic, but I've got a background in pretty much the kinds of things we're interested in. Oh, we like helping people, that's for sure. Yep. All right. So, so... um. So how did you get into the whole uh, radiometric da- uh, dating thing uh, there, Jeff? Okay, well, my my doctoral dissertation in Egypt had to look at a group of granitic rocks that had been intruded into an area called the uh, Eastern Desert or the Red Sea Hills. And part of their characterization, trying to understand them, what kind of minerals they had in them, when they occurred and how they were related to plate tectonics was very important. So time was one of the considerations we had to deal with. So we had collected the samples and took them back to laboratories uh, at the University of North Carolina and a couple other places as well. 
and determine the ages of those granites using three different techniques. Okay, well, I just kind of wanted to point out that you are a Christian, and you, I guess, accept the fact that the Earth is, what, 4.54 billion years old, <laughs> give, give, give or take? Yeah, somewhere around 4.6, I think, yeah. With a whatever margin of error, so um, my, under right. my understanding here is that... Um, when rock initially forms with, you know, lava cooling and whatnot, there's a uh, certain amount of, I guess, elements in it, like uranium, I believe it's 238, and over time it decays into, I believe, lead 206, is that correct? That's one of the uranium schemes. There's also another one. Yeah, there's, there's, a, uh, there's also 235, I think. Exactly. Right. So, so, and that's important that we have two different uraniums that are decaying as part of the scheme, as well as thorium, actually. So we end up with a we end up with a suite of three different um, sort of related uh, radioactive parents that are decaying to their daughter isotopes in lead. And what about potassium argon as well? Is that also used? That Yes. Well, and my granites, for example, now we go all the way back to 1978 now, so this is, it's not primitive, but it's a good while back. And we used uranium lead, potassium argon, and what's called rubidium strontium, which is another third technique uh, that's based on parent decay down to a daughter product and we use three different techniques technically six if you look at the uran two uraniums and thorium and look at the ages and look to see how they correlated with each other if they were in agreement and i think it's very powerful evidence and it happened in my case but it happens almost all the time when when the analyses are done carefully that the ages are themselves are very very close together they're very much in agreement and if there was something random or there was something fishy going on with these techniques, then we would not expect that different techniques with different half-lives, different, uh, completely different radioactive decay systems would actually give the same ages. So that's a powerful, it's a powerful evidence when you get three different witnesses that have no relationship to each other and they're all telling you the same thing. Okay, well, for people who don't know exactly really how it works is basically, like I said, when the rock cools, there's a certain amount of uranium and it starts turning into lead. So we just mm -hmm. measure how long it takes for half of that uranium to turn into lead. And it's about 4 billion years, correct? The, um, the idea of half-lives... Uh, which really just does say what you said, is the time it takes well, one half of a certain amount, any amount of uh, original atoms of a parent, radioactive parent, to turn into their ultimate daughter product, which is not radioactive. Um, one half life, therefore, would be the time that 100% parent would turn into 50% parent, 50% daughter. And in the, in the case of one of the uraniums, it's about $4 billion. Um, other uranium, I think, is 3.8 or something like that. Yeah, I think it's the 238 and, is about 4, yeah. four, four something anyways. Uh, the, anal right, exactly. the analogy that I heard was, you know, the sand hourglass analogy where you yes. have the uranium-238 in the top and then lead in the bottom, and it takes about 4 billion years for half the uranium in the top That's to fall right. into the bottom. Yeah, gentlemen. Yeah. Can I can I ask you a quick question because I, I'm I'm not as smart of, as both of you guys obviously. Uh, when when you get uranium, you say turning into lead, is it just because naturally this uh, these isotopes are just trying to stabilize themselves? Yeah, I think. Yeah, the, well, yeah. there's a if you know anything about the the real basic model of of uh, of atoms, the the Bohr model we call it that has to do with the nucleus composed of the two different major particles, the neutrons and the protons, and surrounded by this uh, very active field of energy we call the electron orbits. And the number of electrons, the negative charge parts of these things, like bees buzzing around a, a core, the electrons themselves are balanced in number by the protons. They're equal. And the, the number of any particular element in the periodic table, the chart, is basically the number of its, of its protons. But its atomic weight is composed of the protons plus the neutrons. And the neutrons have mass but don't have any charge. And so there's this sort of balance in the middle of this package uh, in the nucleus. And if you know neutrons and protons are equal, then you have basically a stable element, one that the nucleus is happy, if we can think of it that way. <laughs> if, however, that. when you start getting heavier and heavier or imbalanced nuclei, these are different isotopes 
which mean they can have the same number of protons, which means the same element, for example, potassium or rubidium or uranium, but would be a different isotope of that because they have more neutrons. And excess neutrons that don't equal the number of protons make for an unstable nucleus. That's one of the major features. I'm simplifying, but that's the main deal. It almost sounds like and something so they deep don't get along, and eventually something's going to happen to where you have fission occurring. You're going to have a splitting of the atom naturally occurring. Not because we're helping it along, but because this is just what happens with these radioactive elements where there's an imbalance of the two nuclear particles, the protons and the neutrons. And, and when this happens, it gives off a lot of, it gives off heat. So one of the arguments I heard is, you know, if the Earth really was 10,000 years old uh, and the decay rates were faster, as people like Ken Ham like to claim, the Earth would have been completely liquefied. Is that uh, uh, the, yeah, the thermodynamics, the relationship of temperature to pressure and radioactivity, uh, it, it doesn't at all make any sense using those natural laws and trying to think of that in terms of something that happened quickly. It doesn't make, it's, it's one of many, many, many lines of evidence that show that the natural laws don't fit an Earth of only a few thousand years old. Well, I heard a new argument this morning, actually. Um, it was basically that scientists have... It, you know, expose these elements to different temperatures, magnetic fields, all these things. They haven't been able to, you know, speed them up that way. But if Correct. we if we could, then we wouldn't have to store all this nuclear waste in mountains and stuff, right? <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. I laughed pretty hard when I saw that this morning. So I thought you'd yeah, get a well, kick out of that too. Unfortunately, a lot of things are ifs, you know. But no, we can't. That's a very important point. We cannot modify the decay rate, the constant rate of radioactive decay, by the kinds of things that we can do in the laboratory, uh, with one exception. We can't heat it up. We can't pound it with pressure. We can't cause chemical reactions to change it. The only thing that will change the rate of nuclear decay is the bombardment of these nuclei by high-powered energy particles themselves, like happened within a reactor. So we don't have any concern really when we take rocks from the earth and we determine their ages because there's no sense that these things have been sitting in a reactor with a with a focused high particle beam of energy and they're changing their decay rate well and so and, yeah what you said is absolutely right and that that's the thing um i just wanted to mention that i met you in the uh, facebook group celebrating creation for natural selection which is a wonderful group i've met lots of very nice yeah. Christ nice christians there who have right advanced science degrees i'm an atheist but they kind of welcomed me with open arms and have taught me a great deal and oh and you're not unique there's a lot of people there with you know agnostics and atheists oh and absolutely else. i see them everywhere and normally i get kicked out of groups but <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I looked you up i think i think you sent me a link and you uh you do quite a bit of i guess anti young earth uh evolution denying type of stuff i don't want to say creationist because i mean yeah, yeah I, I'm glad you made that distinction, too, because I am a creationist. I do believe that, you know, that there's uh, a, a power and an intelligence and a creative designer way beyond human beings, but that... Not in the intelligent you know, that, design. That yeah, it's not a in theological the, question. It's not a scientific yeah, not question. Not in the Ken Ham, Ray Comfort oh, kind gosh. of way. Yeah. No, no, so, so you believe in a, a prime mover, in other words. Well, I've, I've, I'm, a, I'm a Christian myself, so I really believe in the God of the Bible, and I believe in the stories of the Bible with, with certainly reservations about some of the stories and, and their interpretation. But I, I believe a lot of things that a lot of these other people would say they believe in, too, but I certainly don't take science in the, in the Bible as a scientific textbook and distort its meaning as well as distorting science. That's our biggest problem, well, and that's the interaction between... The scripture and, and science itself is, is not an easy fit. Well, I think we need an alliance between people like me, whether it be atheists or agnostics or whatever it is, and intelligent Christians like you and some of the other people from that group against mm -hmm. these people who are just distorting science, because science is amazing. And if when, when I did believe in God, I always thought, well, God created nature, so the best way to learn about God would be to study nature. Like he's not gonna, yeah. he's not planting <laughs> the fossils to test our faith or anything uh -huh. like that, right? I've read, yeah. yeah. Well, so, uh, as a geologist, I mean, my my faith only grows as I get older, and I'm getting pretty old right now. But <laughs> it's really, it's because of my exposure to creation and how wonderful it is and how marvelous it is and how intricate it is and and even the sense of beauty that we have as human beings 
draws me to something I think is much, much greater than any sort of sense of natural law. But that's not the issues we're talking about with these guys. They come up with a particular model of interpretation, which has never been the only model of interpretation, and want to make that what Christians believe. And it's just not true. It never has been true. It's been one option among many. But I would say that geologists that I know that are Christians, uh, very distinguished people, and very devout people, the vast, vast majority of them, do not take the Bible in the, in the real simplistic sense that it's, you know, the 10,000-year-old creation or anything else for that. Matter. Well, and one of the issues is that so many atheists think that Christian means you're automatically an evolution-denying, you know, That's young right. earther, and I really don't like That's that. That's right. Well, we, we see, and that we see. is a misconception. It's also a misconception to think that Christians are these people that are out to tear up the environment. Um, I mean, I've devoted my whole life to environmentalism and and what we call creation care. And some of the strongest, most powerful movers in this whole thing I know are evangelical Christians who are fighting against the right-wing sort of political economic interests. And that is even more volatile and more dangerous, much more dangerous in my mind than the guys who are dealing with Age of the Earth. Yeah, because you see that a lot, especially, I mean, we don't see it as much up here in Canada, but uh, when we take a look south, uh, uh, you always oh, have this this oh, yeah. large, loud evangelical movement saying things like, well, you know, radiometric dating is wrong because uh, carbon-14 doesn't measure dinosaurs or something like that. It's, <laughs> yeah. As a Christian yourself, how do you respond to these people? Well, we, we write, we talk. I have to be gracious to my students. I have a lot of students here at Wheaton College that come in with all kinds of backgrounds. And I tell them things that they need to hear. First of all, they need to understand the history of the Church, the broader Church, and to realize it's never been monolithic in these issues, that there's always been this great respect for the, the things that the Bible really teaches, and then to be very light on things that the Bible doesn't teach. It may talk about, but not really references lessons that we need to know. We need to know the message. And so much of this stuff about the age of the earth and, and what the flood did or fossils and things just isn't the intention of Scripture. And I think that's the greatest distortion. It's a distortion of faith. The fact that I can get along so very well with people that happen to be, well, Roman Catholics and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists, because we have so much in common. And, and in reality, we have very few things that we don't have in common. So it's it's a distortion, and part of it we're living through in this country right now with our politics and our economics, and it's dreadful. Do you, you have know? a dent in your wall when a student approaches you and t talks to you about the flood? Um, I where you bang your head, you know? Been, Do you have a dent in the wall where you just keep banging your head? Or humans no. and dinosaurs? No, no, no. I, I mean, I really, I really have to talk to them and try to treat them as they're adults. Very few of them are, are very you know, are intransigent. They, they, they are not intransigent, if I could say that properly. They, they really want to learn, they want to listen, but they've heard things at church, they've heard from their families, and most of them are still open, and they're, and they're wonderful. And we teach it in such a way here that they can see that there's been a wide variety of interpretation of these things, not just one interpretation down through the centuries. Yeah, because it makes you a very powerful ally to science to have something in common in their faith, uh, which, of course, you know, is is a great advantage to you as compared to somebody like us, our atheists, will half the time are just dismissed right away because we don't have that common link. So uh, mm -hmm. thank mm -hmm. you for that. Well, well and when, when I talk to the people about it on Facebook and tell them the age of the earth, they say, oh, you're just an evil God-hating atheist. And then, That's right. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, you know Dudley, right, from the group? Sure. I see yeah. Dudley all the time, and he's a he's a Christian. He also has a, a degree in physics, I believe, a master's, yep. I think. Anyway, either way, and then he does it, and they listen to him. I'm like, hey, I just said the same thing. Yeah, just because we <laughs> just because we sacrifice babies and eat them does not mean that oh we're wrong gosh. about radiometric <laughs> dating. <laughs> well, you know, people don't know how. Uh, one of the greatest things that we're lacking these days is discernment. And, and, you know, I sound like the old guy again, but because of the way education is done, because of popular media, social media and things, human discernment and our ability to weigh things and to think about issues instead of looking at sound bites and listening to gurus is really sad. We're getting more and more tribal through time, and it, people will listen to people and believe them simply because it's part of their tribe, not because they've done any thinking themselves or they're even going to bother to think. 
So the greatest tragedy we have these days are people who really aren't willing to explore and to challenge themselves, risk themselves into looking at something beyond where they've been looking before. And it's hard. And it's hard. But if your faith is real, it should be willing, you should be willing, and it should be explorable. If you can't question your faith, if you can't question your faith about anything, even in science, I mean, science, too, is, is faith. We have faith that these laws work, and we have to continually make sure that these things are confirming something for us. And if we feel that way, we feel strongly about that way, we have to be open to discovery and, and exploration and discussion. But nowadays, with this defensive, ugly, tribal situation happening, people are less and less likely to do that. Well, we need to ally, I think, because we do have a lot of that stuff, even still here with people, you know, even schools private schools uh, my yeah. wife went to a, a private christian school where they had just parents teaching their science class and they said this is not true but i, ha I have to teach you this evolution stuff anyways but it's not true ahead of time i'm like yeah. oh wow so and the problem is that there seems to be these misconceptions where some christians think we're all evil atheists and some atheists think wow. all think all christians are anti-science and i think yeah. we could come together and actually mm -hmm. make somewhat of a difference to promote real science and agree to disagree where we do, but focus yeah. on where we do agree. And the funny thing exactly. is, the, the only place we really might disagree are the on the very, very large questions that we don't necessarily have an answer for at this point. Well, and Jeff and That's I have right. Jeff and I have talked on my wall, and we've had very good discussions where some of my atheist friends were kind of acting like idiots, and him and I just had a <laughs> him and I had a really nice, peaceful conversation, and we completely disagree on those things, but it doesn't matter. So no. why can't you bring these peaceful conversation here in the studio with us, Tyler? Why are you giving you right now? Oh, we have <laughs> just kidding. We have there's so many good people in that celebrating creation for natural selection group. Yeah, it is an amazing group. You're absolutely right. It totally changed yeah. my view. I used to be just as ignorant and thought all Christians were anti-science, and then I had Christians teaching me science. I was like, wow. You got, you got to stop promoting a book here because we might have to charge them for our time at this point. It's a group. It's a group, <laughs> not a book. Oh, sorry, the, the group. I know. I wouldn't. They don't that. charge, so it's not a promotion. <laughs> Well, 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 let me tell you something. I was talking to my wife about this today, too, and I, I don't like the term atheist. I really don't. I mean, not just the connotations, but I think all of us that are serious people and that have hearts and that have the commonality of human love and compassion, I, I could, the word agnostic is fine with me because it just means I don't know. Yeah, that's and what I'm I am. Christian, I'm an agnostic I'm an agnostic atheist. Christian because I don't have... I, 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 I adhere to some of these things... But I'm not absolutely certain about most of the things that I adhere to. I have to clap And for so that. there's, you know, the agnostic is a good word. Atheist is such a final-sounding word to some people. It's like, whoa, gosh, that's like dead, you know? Yeah. And then Christian is like mindless, anti-intellectual. And so the connotations of those things, if we were all honest and could call ourselves searchers, you know, that sort of a thing. I like that. Searchers. I looking like that. for Looking for truth wherever it may be found, and sometimes realizing that we might get shocked when we get someplace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I call myself an agnostic atheist, and the funny thing is that if you actually look it up on Wikipedia, one of the synonyms is uh, negative atheist. I was like, oh, wow, thanks. <laughs> And the, like and, the and the atheists who claim to be 100% sure that no God exists, which I believe yes. gives them the burden of proof, they're called positive atheists. I'm like that. Oh, my God. I know is terrible. Well, yeah. you know the stereotypes. You already mentioned someone like Ken Ham, who, quite honestly, is appalling. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> can we clap for that, too? Oh, yeah. Ring anyway, the bell for that. He really is. I, I'm sorry. There's just so much wrong with what he does. It just, you know. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, <laughs> Wait a minute, Jeff. Wait a minute, Jeff. Were you there? What? Yeah, were you there? Were you there? <laughs> was I there? I've, yeah, I've listened to him. I've seen him in person. So, yes, I was oh, there. Oh, I kind of pity um, you. I know. Well, I don't have to. I don't do much of that. But, you know, also listening to someone on the other side, like Richard Dawkins, who can sit there and say, uh, science can show that there's no God. And I'm saying, Richard, you're a lousy scientist if you believe that. That's you why know? I like. That's why I like Neil deGrasse Tyson so much. Is he doesn't? Yeah, he's, he's kind of in the middle. Well, he is, and he's also he's just not going to throw his hat into things that he's not, you know, more accomplished with. It's his approach and, I like uh, best. So. But we end up with stereotypes. We end up with a stereotype of of Ham or you know of Dawkins, and these people just don't represent. Uh, you, you know who? Um, 
oh gosh, what's his first name? Um, Ruse, the philosopher of science. Oh gosh, anyway, he's a Scottish guy. And I forget his first, I should, I should know his first name, but his, his last name is Ruse, R-U-S-E. And he is incredibly refreshing. He is, uh, he's an agnostic. Sometimes he'll call himself an atheist, sometimes he won't. <laughs> but he loves to interact with a lot of, a lot of Christians on, 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 on good levels. And he's also very quick to tell all these other people, because he's a philosopher, that their philosophy stinks, including people like Dawkins. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's an iconoclast, you know? He doesn't care who he offends. He really doesn't. And uh, we I like, like him the already. guy. I mean, he's just so open and honest. Um, but those kind of people are left out because they don't attract as many adherents. Oh, they don't the, have yeah. the big tribe. It's the drama them. that gets the ratings, right? Like Big Brother. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, the media is to blame for most of our ills, as far as I'm concerned. I have right now. I have a Christian scientist recommending to me to read an agnostic atheist philosopher. That is wonderful, and and insulting Ken Ham. This is oh, yeah, a good yeah, day. Yeah, well, I got news for you. That's pretty common stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the American Scientific Affiliation, the ASA? Oh, abs- a- absolutely, and things like BioLogos, which I really, okay, really well, would like to promote. There's a lot of people in those organizations, and a lot of them are, are very similar to the way I think from a lot of different perspectives. And um, they just kind of show you that among scientists, that the vast majority of Christians that are in science are not at all what they want to be depicted of in the media. Um, you know, I tell people there are no, I, I know the only Christians that are geologists that take the young earth perspective. I really, I know them. I mean, there's some other ones undercover, of course, but the ones who have ever written anything or said, I know all these guys. And I can tell you, every single one of them come to it through their theology and not through science. Yeah. Well said. And when that gets admitted, it's like, no, the science does not indicate what you're saying. Stick with your theology. You want to, that's fine. But don't distort the science. And people need to know that there are Christians like you and that accepting science doesn't make their faith less. And that's what a lot of them think, I think. Absolutely not. And the number of people that they could think about and respect, you know, in the environmental realm, for example, somebody like John Muir. Are you familiar with John? Yep. Okay. Well, I, I, he's just, you know, I'm, he's a pretty mystical guy, but he's a Christian. And, and his whole idea about taking care of God's creation was based on his faith, but with a really well-informed science behind that. Well, yeah. And, and, it, and uh, there's also people like Kenneth Miller, who I really like, the Ph.D. Yeah, biologist yeah, who did the Dover Yeah, he's Roman Catholic, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and then Francis Collins was the director Collins. of the Human Genome Project. He's also a Christian. Yep, yep. I, I some, like and some of, the, some of the brightest geologists from past history that have developed lots of, uh, of our ideas were Christians, too. Silliman and Dana and Hitchcock and all these kinds of people. But they don't come out when you listen to these other guys that are raising money from the right. (laughs) Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. i got to cut it in, guys, because we're coming to the end of our show. But, Jeff, Mike is all yours, my friend. If you need to plug something, by all means, you've been a great guest. Go right ahead. Be shameless. Oh, plug something. Sure. Well, I have a brand-new book that I'm editing, co-editor, coming out from the Geological Society of America. Not the Geological Association of Canada, but the Geological Society of America. And it's entitled Geoscience for the Public Good and a Sustainable Future. And I'm a co-editor on that. And it's really taking geoscience and using it, using the skills we learn from that, to help people and to help creation, help the world. Perfect. And that's, that's available now. I think you can take orders from it through the GSA. Perfect. Will you be so kind to send that link to Tyler so we could post it in the notes for the show? You bet I will. Thank you so much, uh, Jeff. I really appreciate that. Guys, anything else you want to tell Jeff before we let him go? Martina and Nancy. Thanks for this informational talk. I believe again, and I learned something new today. Yeah, we'll have to bring you back on, man. You're a hell of a guest. Well, good. Thanks for being so nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not as bad as we seem. <laughs> right, right. Thank you, Jeff. Thank okay, you so much. Okay, you all take care. Bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was great, huh? Martina said exactly so what I wanted to Just a fascinating... The first guest I brought on the show, and I really wanted it to go well, and everything started going... 
<laughs> Perfect. And that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening. Now, coming up soon, we actually have Ken Harar. Remember Ken Harar? He was actually uh, doing the Cycling for Diversity. He's coming back to talk to us again. Oh, we'll yeah. Nice guy. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. We'll talk about racism. We have Tracy Harris will be coming on the pipe soon after that. Also, Phil Ferguson of the Phil Ferguson Show will be talking economics and plenty of more great stuff coming down. Guys, as per usual, thank you so much for being with us. You can follow us on leftofthevalley.com. Uh, you can go on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, you can send us an email at uh, leftatvalley@outlook.com. And if you really don't like the way I sound, you can just tell me in my face. Complaints go to Nancy at leftatvalley.com. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I bring you to the fourth floor complaint department. No problem. <laughs> Until next time, guys. Surrounded by damn idiots As long as there's a breath in my body You can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard fighting this problem Religion is a disease It comes from culture Only true on a regional scale Science is universal Are you to say that Horus isn't real But Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu You don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told And believe in the God assigned by your parents Skeptic and non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful